Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. What is the current situation between the Israelis and the Palestinians as far as reaching a peace accord? My guest today is going to bring us up to date on this very, very troubled and very difficult area of the world. My guest today is Dr. Michael Cairo. Dr. Cairo is a professor of political science at Transylvania University in Lexington, Kentucky, USA. Dr. Michael Cairo, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you, Bill. It's good to be here. I appreciate it. Nice yeah. to see you again. Good to see you. It's been a while. It certainly has. Yeah. And it seems like every time we're together, we talk about a very intractable problem, and that's between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Uh, let's flash back, though, to 1947. The UN General Assembly passed a resolution to create a, a, an Israeli state, an Arab state. It came online in 1948. Yeah. I, immediately after that, a war ensued. Where? What? Describe a little bit about the, the two areas today. What? What is the situation in Israel? Palestine and in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip, just very briefly as far as population, uh, maybe uh, a couple of statistics like that. Sure. Um, you referenced Resolution 181 at the United Nations, which was the uh, partition res resolution. That resolution, uh, what was interesting about it is that the resolution gave uh, Jews about 55 to 60% of the land for the state of Israel, but they only constituted about 30% of the population, which was one of the arguments why the Arabs and the Palestinians didn't accept the partition. Today, you've got a situation where all of Israel, including the West Bank and Gaza, is about 11,000 square miles. That's about the size of New Jersey. If you take just Israel without Gaza and the West Bank, you're talking about a, an area that's about a fifth the size of Kentucky. Um, you have 75% of the people in Israel of about 9 million are Jewish, but you also have about 20% who are Arab, uh, Arab Israelis living within Israel, and you have other ethnic groups. If you look at uh, the West Bank and Gaza together, you have about 5 million people um, about 1.8 to 2 million people, depending on what statistics you look at, in Gaza itself. Um, another thing that you could look at in terms of the differences between these two is that Israel's per capita income is about $40,000, whereas for the West Bank, it's a little bit below $2,000. And for Gaza, you're talking a little bit below $900. So you're talking about vast differences between these two groups of people, but also um, in terms of, of the population makeup, because the West Bank in Gaza is primarily Muslim uh, in its makeup. In the West Bank, 
you also have about 130 government approved settlements, 100 unofficial settlements, around 400 settlers in the West, 400,000, sorry, settlers in the West Bank. Um, you can add East Jerusalem into that where you have about 200,000 settlers, Jewish settlers as well. In the Gaza, you mentioned, I think $900 per capita, something like yeah, that. It's a little less than that, yeah. It's a very densely populated area. It's a small area. It's one of the poorest areas in the world. Yes. Yeah, and if you think about the dense population, if you want to put it in, in some kind of understanding, Gaza is about 140 square miles. In terms of the state of Kentucky, we're talking one 290th almost of the state of Kentucky. It is a very small place, densely populated, essentially embargoed, blockaded, um, both Israel and Egypt participating in that to prevent the use of tunnels because of the fear that arms are moving in and out of Gaza. But it's gotten worse since 2018. And in 2018, the Trump administration cut $200 million in aid. And then in 2019, they stopped all aid into Palestine. And that aid was really going to food and medical supplies mainly. Uh, it meant that Gaza had to turn to, um, and, and the Palestinian Authority had to turn to the United Nations and non-governmental groups to try and fill that gap. Now, the West Bank, if you think about it, food assistance, food security in the West Bank, those people who are food insecure, it's anywhere from 10 to 15%. In Gaza, the food insecure is approaching 70% of the population. So it is much more um, significant when you remove that aid and start thinking about the food and medical supplies that aren't getting to the people. And the you mentioned the United Nations. Of course, the UN has been involved in this, the UN Security Council, yes. since day one of the General Assembly, but also a UN agency, a very critical one, UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, was set up Absolutely. in 1948, and it provided so many of the educational, health, and otherwise services to people in Gaza. What what is that going to? Uh, what's the, what does that tell us as far as what's going to happen in the future? Since the U.S. cut funding to that one, also. Well, the UN has kind of taken the lead on this. Um, you've just had the uh, UN envoy Mladenov, sorry, uh, from Bulgaria, um, is now leaving. Um, but he uh, tried to broker some, some deals between the Palestinians and Israelis. But the main issue here is, even with aid from the United Nations, we need to remember that the United Nations budget and the aid that goes into areas is based on the budgets of countries that are contributing to the United Nations. And without the United States contribution, you have a really significant gap that the United Nations has to make up and often cannot make up. It's not keeping up with the level of food assistance or medical assistance that was provided through things like uh, the US Agency and International Development Program. In fact, USAID was assisting with a water and sanitation improvement program in Gaza that was frozen essentially under the Trump administration. So uh, water becomes an issue too as part of this. And water is going to be, and is right now, a major issue throughout the Middle East, and certainly, yes. uh, probably even more so in Israel and, 
and surrounding countries. If you come yeah, up water has been an important issue in the region, um, particularly between Israel and Jordan and Syria and Lebanon. Um, the Jordan River begins in Lebanon and Syria. And in 1964, you had a water war in which Syria and, and Lebanon tried to dam up uh, the, the tributaries that lead into the Jordan, thus cutting off water supplies to Israel. And there was a skirmish in which Israel prevented that. And then they built their national water carrier, the Israelis, in 1964 to 65, drawing off the Sea of Galilee. What that means is that if you look at the Sea of Galilee and you look at the Jordan River below it, uh, the Sea of Galilee has shrunk and the Jordan River itself has shrunk and, and become smaller. Meanwhile, you have Jordan on the other side and the king and the monarchy trying to create their own canal to draw water um, because of the water, really a water crisis uh, in the region in terms of the availability of water. Uh, desalination programs have been used in Israel for a long time but they're very expensive and getting that water into the desert or places like the Negev is, is very critical uh, for uh, the countries of the region. And I, I mentioned the Middle East with water, given climate change, the, the devastation mm -hmm. happening, the changes in the weather, given there's overpopulation, overuse of water, this is a worldwide problem. It's not just limited it, to the Middle East, it is- It absolutely is. is. And, and it contributes to the food problem, too, because most of these countries are major food importers. Um, yes, Israel produces a lot of food in the north of Israel, but the types of food and the aquaponics and other kinds of things that they're using in the southern part of Israel, the, the desert area, we might say, is very expensive, causing rising prices in food. But they have to import a lot of food, too, to maintain um, uh, food security. And for Gaza and the West Bank, when you start adding that factor in, it becomes extremely critical. Yeah. And okay. you add in the fact that the, the settlers and settlements that are in areas like the West Bank oftentimes are demolishing olive groves or other kinds of um, uh, lemon, lemon uh, groves that are, that are growing products that could be sold by Palestinians. One thing that happened a couple of years ago was the United States moved its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And of course, yeah. that was something that Bibi Netanyahu and many of the Israelis wanted for years and years. What has that move, how has that impacted the peace negotiations? And given that the U.S. is about the only country, there may be a couple of others there, can that move, that policy be reversed? Well, um, it had been a long-standing policy of the U.S. government that while Jerusalem, the Israelis declared Jerusalem their capital, we would not put our embassy in Jerusalem. In fact, this goes back to the for decades where we wouldn't attend in person the Israeli Independence Day that parade that took place in Jerusalem. While we might send a, a letter that said uh, congratulations or happy Independence Day, we wouldn't attend the parades that took place because we didn't want to give the impression that uh, we were um, san sanctioning, essentially, the, the Israeli move um, to incorporate all of Jerusalem as its capital, west and east. This, of course, occurred after 1967. The move of the embassy 
essentially remove the United States as an honest broker in any kind of mediated agreement or negotiations between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Because from the Palestinians' perspective, East Jerusalem should be the capital of a Palestinian state. By sanctioning, essentially, Jerusalem whole, the entirety of Jerusalem, as the capital of Israel and moving our embassy there, we've essentially removed ourselves in any kind of peace process. In terms of its impact and whether you can actually move us back, um, two things. One is that, you know, this is an over, what Trump did is the overt policy that was somewhat covertly accepted. The United States never protested what Israel was doing in Jerusalem in loud ways. Maybe rhetorically we did, we might pressure them in private, but we maintained our rhetoric in such a way that we could be a balanced mediator in the process with Palestine and Israeli interests and other Arab interests. Now, even if a Biden administration said, okay, we're moving back to Tel Aviv, it really, the trust factor is gone because what's to say that in four years, if a Biden administration is no longer there and it's, a, it's clear that he wants to run a Pompeo administration, that it doesn't simply move back. And so you've got a situation where the, the Palestinian side certainly cannot trust the United States in that this move would ever be permanent in any significant way. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or a community access television station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you just have a computer, you have a website, you like our show and you'd like to share it, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided free of charge as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at a very, very problematic area of the world, and that's the Middle East with and the problems between Israel and the Palestinians. And my guest is going to bring us up to date on where we are in that particular issue. Dr. Michael Cairo is a professor of political science at Transylvania University. Dr. Cairo, we're talking about a very difficult problem. It's been with us at least since 1948, maybe even going back 100 years, as you and I had mentioned even earlier. But given that this is such a, a delicate situation, there are so many competing interests, we see that there are numerous, dozens of illegal settlements that have been built by the Israelis, what can be done? Well, let's just focus on the settlements. What can be done? Is there anything to be done to take this issue off of the table? To I don't know how you would do it to uh, maybe eliminate some of the settlements or legitimize some of them or how you would do it. But the settlements is really a major sticking point. Are they? It is a major point. And as I said earlier, there are about 130 that are government approved in the West Bank, and there are about 100 that are unofficial, that aren't really approved. Um, you've got uh, Bibi Netanyahu uh, wanting to expand the number of settlements uh, into an area known as E1, which is essentially northeast of Jerusalem. 
into the West Bank. Um, these settlements uh, dot the West Bank in multiple ways. And in, in many ways, uh, I know you've probably heard of salami tactics. This is more like Swiss cheese tactics. Uh, the way the settlements are spread throughout the West Bank, it makes it very difficult to envision any kind of Palestinian state that didn't look like a smattering of things that are unconnected because of the settlements. The settlements themselves cost Israel a lot. Uh, they've had to put up a separation barrier that goes around the settlements and actually cuts in areas of the West Bank inside the Green Line, the Green Line being the ceasefire line in 48-49. Um, while you've had uh, administrations that on occasion have really pushed back on the settlements, George H.W. Bush, for example, froze Israeli assets to try and, and prevent the uh, uh, um, uh, creation of more settlements, the establishment of more settlements. Obama, of course, abstained from, uh, the Obama administration abstained from a UN resolution condemning Israel on settlements in 2016. The reality is, is that we haven't done much to really change the facts on the ground, as Moshe Diane said. He, he described these as established facts and establishing facts on the ground. Our move to Jerusalem plus our appointment of David Friedman, who is the US ambassador to Israel under Trump, really sends a signal that the Israelis can get away with whatever they want. Because frankly, Friedman was a huge financial and political supporter of settlements. And we've seen in 2020, B'Tselem, which is an Israeli human rights group, says that uh, over 700 Palestinian buildings have been destroyed just in 2020 alone. This is the largest number annually since before 2016. So you can see the results of what's happened with the Trump administration's move much closer to Israel um, and how that is, is changing sort of the fabric on the ground. So unfortunately, I really don't see a solution to the settlement issue. In fact, what you have and what you've had for a long time is essentially a one-state solution, but it's not a one-state solution where Israel annexes the West Bank, because that would be devastating for the Israelis. You can't have a Jewish state without a Jewish majority, and accepting some three million Palestinian Arabs into a Jewish state threatens the identity and character of what Israel would be. So they sort of have this a limbo situation where the Palestinian state doesn't really exist. It has some autonomy, but not enough autonomy to really be sovereign in any way. Most Americans from the polls indicate that they want Israel to be secure. They want the Palestinians, uh, the Arabs side to be secure. And that really mandates almost a two-state solution. As you mentioned, Israel could not survive if it were to bring in all of the, the different elements that were not non-Jewish. But if they do do that, if they go to a single state solution, which Bibi Netanyahu apparently is in favor of, that he may have changed on that, the only, the only way it can be laid out is that they're either gonna be outvoted and they will be out of power or they'll have an apartheid state like existed in South Africa. Is there, is there anything in between or does it say we, they have to have a two state solution or there is no solution. 
Um, I, I don't really think there's anything between. I mean, I, I think what you said is absolutely right, that, uh, that any kind of one-state solution has an element of an apartheid-like uh, situation. Um, Arab Israelis, those Arabs who live within Israeli borders, are not treated the same as an Israeli citizen who is Jewish in terms of all the various rights and education. For example, in schools, the curriculum, you're required to learn Hebrew. You're not required to learn Arabic. Um, you know, you're, you're required to understand Israeli history. There's no requirement to understand uh, Arabic history or the history of the Palestinian people in any way. So it does create a, uh, a dichotomy and a real identity crisis for a lot of people within uh, Israel and, and Palestine. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned before, it's safe to say that we all want them to live in peace. There's no doubt yes. about that. We don't oh, want yeah. one providing hegemony or imperialism over the other. And that is up to Now, let's just say that uh, the Biden administration said, uh, Dr. Cairo, give us three suggestions on what we can do to help reduce the tension here to bring peace or at least a, a modicum of peace to that very troubled area of the world, what, what would you suggest? Are, are there even three? Wow. That, is, that is a really difficult, <laughs> really difficult question. I think, I think one thing um, that we need to do is, is restore our aid, especially into uh, Gaza and the West Bank. Even the Netanyahu administration was concerned when we eliminated all of our aid because the concern is, is, is that by eliminating aid and not having money flowing in that can support individuals, you create greater instability and potentially greater crisis. So a financial input could provide some more stability. You have to, it's not going to be easy. You can't remove the settlements that are there. You, I mean, you could forcibly, but the expansion of settlements has to stop. How you do that I don't have a good answer. And that's the real, the real crux of this. Um, one thing that you certainly could do is, is pressure Israel on things like the arms aid that we, we provide, you know, holding that up, delaying that in some way to apply pressure to prevent the expansion of settlements into new areas. Um, certainly, and I know I said that, it, that it, it, it's not going to necessarily build any great trust because it could change later. I do think the embassy needs to be moved out of Jerusalem. That's my personal feeling. I still think that it doesn't necessarily convince the Palestinians that that won't change in four years or two years or whatever it might be. Um, but those are small steps. You know, the Trump administration is really touting the Abraham Accords right now as, oh, this great peaceful move. Those are really economic agreements more than anything else, and they don't involve the Palestinians at all. Perhaps the United States should start talking to the Palestinians again. That, at the very least, is a step toward building the kind of trust you need to move this forward to a more stable and secure situation for all involved. And this is something that they really need to move forward on because the clock is ticking. They can't be kicking the can down the road forever and ever because eventually the population time bomb is going to catch them. And, and also the situation in Gaza is just absolutely atrocious. I mean, it's, it's referred to so often as an open air prison. 
And we can understand why, because you have 1.8 million people jammed in this very small area, living in abject poverty with sewage and waste, human waste flowing through their streets. It just, it's, it's a situation that has to change. It cannot go on indefinitely. And this jeopardizes the security of Israel. It's not just the Palestinians. Absolutely. You've got to, we want both sides to come out of this as winners and not losers, but it's a major problem and the UN's been very involved. And I'm sure the Biden administration is gonna to have to be very involved because it is not going to clear itself up without some type of external assistance, not domination, but assistance. But Dr. Michael Cairo, I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. All right, thank you, Bill. Thank you. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.